You're listening to the ministry of Potter's House Church Wandsworth, a Christian Pentecostal church based in South London, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our call is to reach the lost, make disciples and plant churches. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit us at phcwandsworth.co.uk. tonight how many people are excited to be in the house of God amen praise God Um, the other day I heard a story about this um, orphan who was looking to get adopted now to go back to the beginning of the story there's a man named Michael and his wife Christine Burnett and um, these guys had been experienced foster parents they had adopted before this was nothing new And then in 2010, they were looking to adopt a girl from Haiti. Um, But because in 2010, I believe it was January, there was an earthquake that fell through. So they weren't able to adopt that girl. So then they lost hope. They felt a bit depressed. They felt a bit down. And as time went on, they started to lose hope. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, they get a call from a a foster agency. So an adoption agency. And these guys are telling them, hey, um, we have a girl, and we think she's going to be perfect for you. Sorry, I talk very loud. Can you put my mic down, please? Um, there, there's a, we have this one girl who's going to be perfect for you. They'd said that they'd done research on the couple. They'd looked into their situation, and they knew that this girl was going to fit perfectly. So these guys then say, hey, yeah, we'll take, take, take the, um, we'll take the plunge, we'll go ahead, we'll have a look at what this agency have to offer us. So the agency starts to talk to them about this young girl, she's um, struggling, she's um, coming from a family in Ukraine, the last family she had don't want her anymore. She was um, diagnosed with dwarfism, if you don't know what that means, it means she was vertically challenged. This girl was only six years old when she came to meet them. So these guys then pull up um, outside this shopping mall. They go inside into this quiet office, and this agent comes into the room, and he explains to them what's going to happen. Now, as I said before, these guys were experienced foster parents. It's not like this was something new to them. But what, what really stuck out to them was first the way that the contact was made. The fact that an adoption agency called them up. How many of you know that's a bit dodgy? I don't know about you guys. I don't get any called calls from any adoption agencies. I'll have people call me up to give me cheaper rates on my fuel, as in my heating and my energy. But no one's ever called me up to say, hey, we have this girl we think you'd want to adopt. But he gets to this shopping center. Then the agent walks in. They explain everything, as I said. And then he says, are you ready to meet the young girl called Natalia? Obviously, the parents are excited. Yeah, yeah, let's bring her in. The agent says there's only one stipulation. You only have five minutes to spend with her, and you have to make a decision in 24 hours. Now, how many know if you're going to adopt a child for life, 24 hours isn't enough time? Five minutes isn't enough time. But they were given these strict regulations to, to follow, So they say yes, you know, they were desperate to adopt. They say yes, bring her in. And this young six-year-old runs into the room with a massive smile on her face, saying, Daddy, Daddy, Mommy, Mommy. She's desperate to be part of a family. 
Now, Michael and Christine, even though they thought it was a bit unusual, they're more than happy to take the girl in. They sign the papers, the girl is taken out after five minutes. That daughter is now theirs. Natalia is now part of their family. As they're heading back home, the family are excited. They've got their three boys in the back of the car with Natalia. They're all talking, they're excited, happy that there's a new addition to the family. They get home, Michael's putting the um, boys to bed. Uh, Christine is now bathing um, Natalia. And she notices something very unusual about Natalia. She notices that Natalia is a lot more developed than a six-year-old should be. So she calls her husband, Michael, come up. Come see what I've just seen. Michael's looking and he's so puzzled. Both of them are puzzled. Why does this six-year-old look the way that she does? You know, today, I want to preach on a sermon entitled Infiltrated. And we're going to be reading from the book of Judges, chapter 16. We're going to be looking at the story of Samson and Delilah. If we read from verse 4, the Bible says, Afterward it happened that he, Samson, loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him, speaking about Samson, and find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and every one of us will pay you 1,100 silver pieces. Now, if we skip down to verse 16, if you're following, the Bible says, And it came to pass when she pestered, pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death, that he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all of his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up at once, for he's told me all of his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Verse 19, Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him. And his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Thanks, Paul. Then the Philistines took him and put his eyes out, brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and became a grinder in the prison, infiltrated. Just help me pray, church. Father God, we're so grateful for the opportunity to hear from you today, oh God. Lord Jesus, we pray that you may bring a word that is in season, a word that would speak to us, oh God, a personal revelation to each and every individual in this place. Oh God, I know you're with us. Speak to us in this place. Move on our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. And the whole church says, Amen. Amen infiltrated. It's interesting when you think of the story of Samson and Delilah. Samson clearly says to Delilah, I believe it's verse 17, he says clearly, I am a Nazarite. I've been set apart from the day I came out of my mom's womb. You see, the thing is, the first point I'm looking at here 
is so many times as Christians, the reason we get infiltrated is because we forget the assignment at hand. We forget that there's a war at hand. I remember when I was younger, a lot younger, I just turned 30. <laughs> Feels like an age away, but I remember we went to paintballing. And during paintballing, they had one of these games called Capture the Flag. Do you guys know what that is? You guys are looking at me like, I have no clue what he's talking about. Capture the Flag. And the whole aim of the game is that the enemy team would come over to our side and they'll try and take the flag that's in our base. Now, thinking I was a wise one, I said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to stay at the base. I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to camp out. I'm going to hide. And while my team were going out being MacGyver, I was like, I'm not going to get shot. How many know paintballs hurt, man? So I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm smarter than that. So I'm waiting and I'm waiting. I'm not seeing anyone coming because I'm thinking, hey, my team is serious. They've taken these guys out. Meanwhile, one of the enemy guys ran around the perimeter so no one could see him, comes up behind me and shoots me in my neck. Now, I don't know if you guys know how painful a paintball is from far away, but up close, I thought I was dying, man. It was a medic. <laughs> it was crazy. But the reality is when you look at it, what was I doing? I'd forgotten the task at hand. I was just thinking, hey, I'm going to wait here. I'm just going to wait for the enemy to come. And when he comes, I'm going to deal with him. But he dealt with me. <laughs> You see, when we look at a war, the whole basis of infiltration in a war is that we're going to go into enemy lines as deep as we can, and we're going to start killing them from within. You see, this U.S. family had been infiltrated. I like to think of that story a lot. I, I, I watched the interview that he had done multiple times. I think I watched it like 10 or 15 times. Because I couldn't believe it. I mean, I don't know how you guys felt when I was saying that story, but it just sounds bizarre. I mean, there's a few points in there that, I mean, if someone called me, I think those, are, I, I don't call myself an expert when it comes to fostering. I've got three kids. I don't know what it means to foster. I don't know the procedure. But the first thing, the guy said he was contacted by an agent. Like I said before, that would be like, what are you doing? Why, how'd you get my number? How do you know I'm even trying to adopt? Why are you calling me? You know, this guy just, he's on the phone. Yeah, yeah. But you know, the thing is, when you're in a desperate place, things just seem normal. The second thing, he was given a time limit to decide. 24 hours for the rest of your life. 24 hours, you need to make a decision. You sit with her for five minutes. And then you have to call your shots. This is it. This is you. Till the day you die. The other thing that really shocked me is they didn't talk about any background checks. Now, how many know as kids, you know, these days, child care has become really serious and we're looking at loads of different structures. Even in the church, we need to look at structures. How many know that's good? But here, there was no talk about any background checks. You're taking this young girl into a family. You don't even know what the family's like. The family weren't even told what, why the last family wanted to get rid of her. They said, hey, can we find out more about the girl? They said, no, we'll only, we'll only show you two pictures and you have to go by that. Okay, but let me see your birth certificate. Yeah, yeah, here you go, it's in Ukraine. I can't read Ukrainian. But none of this made him think, hold on, there's something dodgy here. I don't even know nothing about this little girl. How am I going to raise her? You see, sometimes we know something's wrong, but we just don't want to see it. It's either we don't see it or we just don't want to see it because of who it is. 
See, because they were so desperate to have a little girl, they said, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to ignore the anomalies. Alarm bells are ringing. Yeah, that sounds a bit dodgy. It looks a bit dodgy. But because of who it is, I'm willing to go through it. Samson, he knew, hold on, this woman, why does she keep asking me where my strength comes from? I always think, uh, you know, my wife, I'm not like super strong. But I always think if my wife kept asking, where does your strength come from, babe? Why do you keep asking me that? Every day, just before dinner, hey, babe, just before you have the dinner, where does your strength come from? I'm going to start checking my food. She's going to poison me. Why do you want to know where my strength comes from? You know, it would be like your wife always saying, babe, have you paid your life insurance? You'd be like, why are you asking that? It's like one of those things you just don't ask. But then this woman keeps asking him. Samson thought, hold on, there's something dodgy here, but I'm going to keep going through it. How many of us in here are going through things now, even though people have told us there's something dodgy there? Yeah, the pastor, pre pastor Courtney preaches on the, hey, you need to have standards. Yeah, that's for them guys, that's their conviction. <laughs> yeah, that's their conviction. Oh yeah, you know what, we just don't think you, yeah, yeah, well, they're just saying that. Alarm bells. You're just ignoring them. Why? Because of who it is or what it is. The book of 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Scripture is so pertinent to what we're talking about right now because that phrase, sober-minded, literally means to not be led by your emotions. To not be led by your flesh. To be sensible. It says be sensible. Be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Don't you think it's interesting that the Bible called him a roaring lion? Like a roaring lion. One thing about lions is they don't just pounce. They always stalk their prey. They do their research before they attack. You see, the thing is, some people in here don't realize the devil's done some research on you. The devil's done some research on you, man. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your desires. And you're there thinking, hey, I'm cool, man. No, he's infiltrating. That's his mindset. I need to infiltrate. The devil's always looking for a way in. The Bible says in Matthew 12, verse 43, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest, and finds none. Verse 44. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. The Bible's saying that it was clean before. So when he left, he was kicked out, evicted, and it was tidied up. He comes back, and then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. The last state of the man is worse than the first. You know, infiltration is designed to leave you in a worse state than when it first found you. When you're infiltrated, it's not like he's just coming to just be a squatter. Squatters rights in this country. It's not like they're just going to come in and just sit in your couch, eat your chips. No, they're coming to make you worse than when they first found you. See, this thing about infiltration is something we all need to start taking a lot serious, a lot more serious. 
says it was clean before. But then he's always trying to find a way in. See, the thing is here, what's really interesting is, initially, the enemy can't force his way in. He can't force his way in. It's not like he kicked down the door. <laughs> I say with the 4-4. Four, four. <laughs> hey, pray for me, man. <laughs> I don't even know why that popped in my head. <laughs> it's not like he's trying to break the door down. He needs permission to enter. <laughs> God, pray for me, man. I shouldn't even have said it. I was like, why did I say that? Think it, don't say it. It's not everything that comes to your mind. I know Sam's thinking, it's not everything that comes to your mind. See, the enemy's always finding a new route to enter. See, successful infiltration always needs either trust, so you need to have some trust, or it needs an open door. And the reason why I'm saying that is because most of us are good people in here. So I'm talking, amen, I mean, <laughs> I like to think we are. Amen, we're good people, amen. So how does a good person allow someone to, well, there must have been trust there. You wouldn't open the door to someone you knew were trying to, was trying to infiltrate. You wouldn't leave the door open if you, if you knew someone was going to break in. So there must have been trust there, either trust or an open door. See, the devil's always looking for open doors. This is why alcohol is such a big thing here. Because alcohol leaves you open. You're vulnerable. Drugs are a big thing. It leaves you open. You're vulnerable. Even these days with the whole spirituality movement. Yeah, it's, it's just leaving you open. First thing is they try to get you to trust them. While, they, while you trust them, they're looking for open doors. In this place today, I wonder, I wonder how many people have left themselves open today. How many doors have you left open in your life? What avenues does the devil have to get into your life? Are there things you're overlooking? What are you beginning to put your trust in? Because church, once you're infiltrated, can I tell you that it's not easy to get the enemy out? Eviction isn't that easy. What have you allowed into your life today? You see, once you've seen the signs, most would say it's already too late. See, infiltration. I want to talk about the power of infiltration now. See, I was going back to this story. I was still listening to this man talk. And the interview is just harrowing because this man just looks broken while he's recounting the story of what's happened to him. And he starts to talk about the time that they realized this girl can't be six years old. Now, I would have realized from the first night, she ain't six. But for him, it took a bit longer. So now he's looking and he says to his wife, we need to find out how old this girl actually is. So as they're looking, trying to find out, hey, what's happened there? Where did we go wrong? What did we miss? Natalia's behavior starts to change. She becomes a lot more aggressive. I was thinking, a six-year-old aggressive? That can't be that bad. Now, she starts to do things like she would have these um, thumbtacks, like those pins that you put on boards, and she'd put them face up on the stairs. Yeah. And she'd wait for someone to step on them. So once you step on them, you're falling down the stairs. Now, imagine, it's not just the parents in the house. There's a six-year-old, a nine-year-old, and an 11-year-old. So there's other kids in the house. 
This girl doesn't care. She's putting these pins on the stairs and she's like, yeah, I'm willing to take anyone out. Other things she would do is the mom, so the 11-year-old, and this is fascinating, I don't know how he did it, but they said that the 11-year-old was attending university at 11. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, there's more things to talk about in their story there. So <laughs> I need to take, I need to understand what they were doing right. But they were going down to university. So because he was 11, he couldn't go alone. So the whole family used to go. So the mom used to take all the boys and Natalia and they'd go to the university together. And what she would do is while they were walking to university, she knew what the boys' favorite toys were. So they would cross this busy road and in the middle of the road, Natalia would have their favorite toys and she would throw them up in the air in the middle of the busy road while traffic is going. And the kids would run and try and get the toys. In the middle of, now how many know as adults we know don't do that? But kids don't know that. Kids are thinking, hey, that's my life. You're throwing into the traffic. I need to save it. See, this one, the, the next thing she did is she goes to the parents and she says, hey, I want to kill your boys. Now, a six-year-old saying she was, I already know how old she is. She ain't old. She's too old. How's a six-year-old telling me she wants to kill my sons? Months go on as they're still trying to find out how old she is. And then they're finding things are going missing, knives in the kitchen. They're finding knives under her bed. To the point where one day, the dad, Michael, wakes up in the middle of the night. At 3 a.m., paranormal activity, wakes up randomly. And then this girl is standing there with a blank expression. Now, have you guys ever woken up at night and you look at something and you think, is that someone there? And it's like your coat on the door. <laughs> it wasn't that. It was her with a blank expression. And then he's looking at her and he's thinking, what's going on? What's wrong with her? Is she sleepwalking? And then he sees a knife in her hand. Now, how many know already, I don't care if she's six, she's moving out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand how it's got to this place that we're having knives in kids' hands. But the reason why this has gone so far, because you're probably wondering, why is he allowed it to go so far? Because he's been infiltrated. You see, when you're infiltrated, you don't see it like everyone else sees it. You're in the situation and you're thinking, everyone else goes through this. Six-year-olds with knives in their hands. That's what you're thinking, though, because we're laughing, but look at your life. What's going on in your life? You're saying, hey, hey, nah, this is cool. Everyone else goes through this. Yeah, yeah, people always speak to people that way. Oh, this is how you treat people, though. It's normal. No, it's not. Maybe you've been infiltrated. So now you know that there's a demon in your house. What do you do about it? You know, we've heard stories about churches having revival Church is sending people out, and then all of a sudden, the pastor backslides. And you're wondering, how, though? Everything was working out. Everything was going well. They were doing well. The church was seeing some sort of revival. Churches were being sent out. How is it that you can get tempted? You always need trust or an open door. See, I'm going to outline quickly, really quickly, six things that happened from infiltration. We read in verse 20 of chapter 16, Judges. And she said, this is Delilah, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he didn't know that the Lord had departed from him. See, the first thing 
you begin to realize when people have been infiltrated, they forget God. They forget God. Samson forgot God. The whole point of Samson's existence was God. He even says, hey, I was a Nazarite from the time my mother gave birth to me. Now, he's saying, I'm going to go out as before. He doesn't even realize God has left him. How many times are we coming to church and going through the motions, not realizing God isn't here anymore? How many people are sat in the seat right now going, mm, and God isn't there? <laughs> yeah, because the thing is, no, we, we, have to, we have to consider that. Because how many times are we looking at this and we're saying, yeah, but God is with me though. But is he though? Like, is he? Have you, have you considered your life, your lifestyle, the way you're living your life? The second thing Samson does is he begins to rely on old winds. You know, what's interesting is Samson says, I'll go out as I did before, and I'll just shake them off. This guy's confident in himself. How many people are walking around life thinking, yeah, I'll, I'll do this. It's, it's on me. I'll, I've got this one. I can handle this on my own. See, you're relying on your past wins to give you current victory. One thing that the Bible does a lot is it uses scenarios to give us an idea of what's happening in the spiritual world. And the Bible says in verse 21, Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. See, the thing is, when you're infiltrated, you lose vision. You're going to lose vision. You won't see things that you should be seeing. This is why we wonder, how could Samson allow this to happen to him? He lost vision. He isn't seeing things the same way. I always wonder, you know, there's people even in our fellowship who were backslidden. But they, was, they were being used by God. I mean, talented. You're like, wow. And then today, they aren't even saved. They aren't married. And you're like, wow, they've lost vision. See, at one point, they're on fire for Jesus. They had the vision. Oh, I can see God coming, man. I can see Jesus doing great things. But they've lost it. Now you're like, what? Because the enemy's looking to take out your eyes. See, the Bible says it somewhere where a village without vision dies. The fourth thing, the Bible says that they brought him up out of, um, brought him out into Gaza. Now, Gaza, the word Gaza literally means strong city or fortified city or fortress. So what they did is they brought him out of the place where he was comfortable, where he could have been himself. Now they've thrown him into prison. See, when you are infiltrated, you feel like you can't do nothing. You feel like you're all alone. This family, when they had this girl in their house, they felt like it was just them. I can't do nothing here. Now I'm stuck. A strong city. You can't overcome it. That word Gaza literally means it cannot be overcome. You're stuck there. See, there's some people in this house today, they haven't been laughing because they're saying, yeah, I'm infiltrated and I'm stuck here. I can't do nothing about this. They come into church every day and they're like, yeah, everyone's smiling, everyone's happy, good for you, but I'm in a situation I can't get out of. I'm literally in Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, bondage, he's bound. And finally... And he became a grinder in the prison. You start working for the enemy. You're now a slave. You're just going through the motions, but you're just a slave. 
You start doing things you don't even want to do. Why am I doing this? Well, because you become a slave to it. You're no longer your own master. God isn't your master. The devil's not your master. He's telling you what to do. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to go and do this. Because of infiltration. You see, all the while, we're looking at the story and we're saying, Samson, can't you see you're being infiltrated? Can't you see this woman's no good? But how many times have we been in the same situation and we're saying, yeah, but it's not that bad. And the story we're looking at with Natalia, sad story is, in the end, the family breaks up. So the mom and dad divorce because they just can't take the stress. The son starts to struggle in university, even though he's really young. He was doing really well at one point. But because of all of this, now the family's broken up. There's divorce. There's sadness. The kids are obviously more than the fact that their mom and dad are no longer together. You see, the thing is, Matthew 12 is pertinent here because it's saying the way that it started isn't the way that it's going to end. See, they came together a happy family. How did they leave the shopping mall? They were happy. They were elated. Yes, we've added someone to the family. But in the end, everyone's crying and the family's broken up. There is no family now. See, this is the... This is the the way the enemy loves to work. He loves to come into our lives, make us feel like, yeah, what we're doing is good. I love the decisions I'm making. But all the while, he's just infiltrating you. He's just trying to destroy you from within. See, this is why I look at young people, and I'm like, why did you get involved in drugs? Why did you get involved in alcohol? Why did you go to these clubs at night and doing all of these things that you shouldn't be doing? Why? Because they've been infiltrated. They don't even know why they do it. Have you ever spoken to someone and said, hey, that life doesn't help you? Yeah, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's my life. No, it's not. It's not. But the sad thing is so many people are infiltrated today and they don't even see it. See, what's the devil going to use in your life as an avenue to infiltrate you? I was reading this other story. <laughs> Crazy story. I have loads of stories today. <laughs> um, there was a casino in America, and they had this massive fish tank. Now, if you have a fish tank, you know that the pump needs to stay on, or it needs to work intermittently. So it doesn't work throughout the night or throughout the day. It's on, and then it shuts off, and then it turns on, and it shuts off. So because of that, they needed to connect the um, fish tank to Wi-Fi. So the fish tank was connected to the Wi-Fi. Now, these guys wanted to um, steal money from the casino. And the way that they got into the casino financial details is they went through the fish tank. So what they did, it was quite smart, actually. I was like, that's really good. They made their connection look like it was a fish tank. So when the um, Norton antivirus, as we'd all know it, I don't know what they call it, but the antivirus would just see it and they'll think, oh, it's just a fish tank doing what it usually does. Because sometimes it turns on and sometimes it turns off. So these guys went in as a fish tank. They stole all their money. Stole all their money. The people now are researching. How did they get into our financial details? They got in through the fish tank. Now, how many know when you have a casino, the last thing you're thinking about is a fish tank? You're not thinking anyone's going to try and steal your money through a fish tank. I mean, even those thieves, they're extremely educated. I mean, for you to think a fish tank... That's smart, man. I think it's smart. 
You guys are like, I could have thought of that. Fair enough. I, I couldn't. I'm slow. I'm not as smart as you. But the unlikeliest of avenues is what the devil's going to use to get to you. The one thing you think is harmless is what the devil's going to use. See, the thing is, here they, he used a child to get into this family's life. A child. How is he using a child? He'll use the shows that we watch. See, because when we're entertained, how many know we're vulnerable, man? We put our guards down. They say something and you're like, oh, I'll just ignore that. I, like, they didn't say that. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Guys, act, man. It's cool, man. I'm an actor too, man. I could do it too. But you know when you're watching that show that you shouldn't be watching. Yeah. Amen. Well, what about the music that we listen to? It was funny. I remember, um, I don't know who it was. Maybe it was Pastor Courtney telling me the story about um, why Pastor Mitchell is like, nah, I, I'm not for TVs. Because he said he went to a pastor's house and they were going to go watch a film. And they're watching a film. And in the middle of the film, there was some dodgy activity. So what he did is, he says, because it was back in the day, so you didn't have a remote and you didn't have like Netflix and you didn't have like your phone and Chromecast. So he had to go over and he had to fast forward on the, um, on the VHS. VCR. I'm 30, but I'm not old. So, so he's pressing it and he knew the exact amount of time he had to press it for to get past the spot. You know, that's crazy. And what it was is, so many times when we're watching these things, we don't realize what they've done to us. Now he's programmed, oh, when I'm watching this film, I know when to stand up, I know when to press it. And some of us are like that. When we're watching certain things, we're like, okay, I know I need to skip here. <laughs> I can see it's about to happen, skip. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe, maybe you're being infiltrated because really, should you be watching that? If you're gonna skip it, what's the point? If there's anything in there that you know you shouldn't be looking at, why are you looking at it? I'm getting to my final point now, reclaiming the land. See, my, Michael and um, Christine get to a place now where they're like, I can't do this on my own. We're all alone. We're stuck here. We can't get out of this situation. So what they do is they say, okay, fine. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to go to the legal courts. So they go to the courts and they say, hey, we had this little girl. The agency aren't helping us and we need to figure out how old she is. Because we still don't know. We still think she's six. But she's clearly not six. Because of everything I've just said. So as they're talking to the courts, the courts then rule and say, hey, yeah, let's do another health check. So they do a health check and they're like, nah, she's not six. She's 22. Now imagine. <laughs> imagine. Now, and, and that's the thing. They say, they're saying that's the lower end. She's probably older. She's probably older. Now, these guys, what got them their victory is that they knew they couldn't do it in themselves. They had to go to a higher power. They had to go to a higher authority. You know, the thing is, if you're infiltrated, maybe you're listening to this sermon and you're like, yeah, actually, that's speaking about me. Maybe you've seen it happen to someone. They need to understand they can't do it on their own. When you're stuck in it, you're stuck in it. But you see, the Bible says that Jesus can get you out of it. In Judges 16, verse 30, the Bible says, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. So he's called on God. God, come be with me. I realize I left you. 
Now let me die with these Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords of the Philistines and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his whole life. See, what the, this is encouragement to me because it tells me that Samson was more effective in his final moments than in his whole life put together. Why I'm saying that is because, yeah, it might be a tough situation, but God can bring you to a place. He can redeem your life to a place where you're way better than you even started. See, the thing is, the Bible says that the devil will come and he'll try and make you worse than when he first got there. But the Bible says that, hey, no, Jesus can bring you to a place where you're better than when you got there. So you might be in this situation now looking and thinking, this is all doom and gloom. But no, it's actually an encouraging sermon to say, hey, you're going to be way better. You're going to be much better. Psalms 91, verse 10 to 13. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. The Bible's saying, because you've said I'm going to abide in him and he in me, no evil shall come upon me. No plague come near my tent. That means my dwelling place is protected. He can't even come to my house. Guys, he can't come to my house. My kids are safe because I've said he's my dwelling place. My kids are safe. My mom and dad can be safe if they move in with me. For he will command his angels concerning you. Now, this is where the grace is for me. He will command his angels concerning me. His angel army. Hey, Jesus has an army of angels. An army of angels. And he says he will speak to them because of your cause. Because of you. Yeah, get a bit selfish now. Say because of me. Not because of the person next to me. Because of me. Yeah, you're in here. Because of you, he's going to speak to his army of angels to guard you in every single one of your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You know, the, the scary thing is this is what the devil was talking about in Matthew chapter 4. When he says, hey, if you're really the son of God, call on your angels and they'll catch you if you fall. Even the devil, even the infiltrator knows your way out. Don't you think that's crazy? He's trying to flip it, but even he knows. Yeah, all you have to do is call on God and the angels are down here. You know, the thing is, when he's tormenting you, he knows. All they have to do is call on Jesus, and it's done. They don't need to go through this no more. That depression doesn't have to live here no more. I just have to call on Jesus, game over. And the devil's scared because he knows. All it takes is me to say, Jesus, you're king. You are my dwelling place. You can't come to my house, devil. I've changed my address. You're going to go to the wrong house. Amen. I'm going to close with this thought. You see, the reality is, church, in this place, full of good people. Amen. <laughs> Prevention is better than cure. How many people know that? My mom said that to me many times, and I still haven't learned it. I'm going to learn today. Tell your neighbor, you're going to learn today. Yeah, so prevention is better than cure. Read in the book of Nehemiah, the Bible says, But during all this, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Babylon was where the Israelites were made slaves. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. 
And I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah. I prepared a room for him in the courts of the house of God, and, um, and it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. Verse 9. Then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms, and I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. I also realized that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. So now, because they're seeing what's going on in Babylon, they're like, this is long. Nothing's happening for us. We're going to go to our fields and we're just going to live life. So I contented, so I contended, Kai, so I contended, <laughs> amen, I'm contending. So I contended with the rulers and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. This, this probably didn't mean anything to you, but I'm going to tell you why this is going to speak to us right now. Because the first thing that it says here is that in verse 8, it says, and it grieved me bitterly. You know, in order for there to be change in our lives, things need to grieve us. Nehemiah got to a place where he didn't like his situation anymore. Maybe you're in this place and you've been coming to church for a while, but you haven't repented. But it, it, it's now grieving you. Can I tell you that's a good place to be? Discomfort is the best place to be in church. Amen. I thought I'd get at least one amen. I'd rather be uncomfortable in church than comfortable in the world. Amen. So he says, it grieved me bitterly. We need to put it off. We need to repent. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. See, some people just need to remove distractions. You need to remove all those distractions, those things that keep pulling you back. Pulling you back into the world. Maybe it's some friends. You need to, I'm going to leave you. I'm putting you out the room. Because he said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do away with all of that. If I want to change, I need to repent. Once I've repented, I need to say goodbye to some things. I'm not going to keep living that way. I'm not going to keep doing that. Verse 9, then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms. Now, this is a big one that we struggle with because it feels so abstract. But we need to allow God to do his work in our lives. Part of the work of God is that he's going to start pruning us. It's going to hurt. There's things that we're going to lose, but we need to allow him to do it. Because in my strength, there's so many things that I can get rid of, but God can get rid of a lot more. Because in my mind, I'm going to think, that's not so harmful. God's going to be like, yes, it is. Okay, yes, it is. So that's why we need to be able to allow God to do his work in our lives. We need to contend for the Spirit of God. It says, and I brought back into them the articles of the house of God. This lines up with Matthew chapter 12, verse 43, where we're reading about the demon coming back with a bigger army. What he did was he left, the house got cleaned up. So he says, Clean, cleanse the rooms. The house got cleansed. How many people say amen to that? The house got cleansed. He leaves and then he comes back. And even though it's clean, it's empty. See, someone needs to occupy that space. You need to allow Jesus in. You need to get the Holy Spirit into your life. Contend for the Spirit of God. And finally, at the very end, we're looking at verse 11. It says, and I gathered them together and set them in their place. See, everything I've said 
is all good, but then there's always a part that we have to play. He says at the end that I set them in their place. See, as Christians in this place, what things are you involving yourself in? What's your prayer life like? What's your reading like? Because these guys, these things are going to help you when someone's trying to infiltrate. These things are going to guide you when you're going to make a bad decision. So in your life today, I think in everything I've just said, what I'm trying to say is you need to refuse to be infiltrated. You need to make a conscious decision. I'm not going to be infiltrated. The devil can attempt to come to me. He can attempt to get me. And he is going to try. Why? Because we're called of God. Samson, he was called of God to a higher calling. So there's going to be an X on your back. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but I'm saying you can make it through. I'm saying that regardless how ugly it gets, there's beauty on the other side. And with that, can I have every head bowed and every eye closed? We hope you've been blessed, edified and challenged by the sermon to reach the lost and make disciples. For more information on what we do and who we are, visit us at phcwandsworth.co.uk.